Um, Proverbs chapter number six is where we'll um, find our starting point, if you will. And we're going to look at several references this morning. And I'm going to talk about somewhat of a sensitive topic. And uh, I pray that as we walk through it together, we can see some things from God's Word, some truths that um, might be things that we will meditate on and think about and consider um, this morning's message is going to be challenging to us, but hopefully it will be a blessing to you, to you and, and a challenge to your heart. The, the title of the message is Abomination. And I, I just, uh, as I was going through this week and just putting the package together, I just capitalized the A and the N, just thinking about where we're at as a nation and um, kind of uh, putting that together to, to something that's maybe something that will be memorable to you, something that you can kind of focus on. But I, I want to look this morning at several scriptures and look at how God views certain things in scripture that um, maybe we have started to view a little bit differently or maybe take a different perspective on. And maybe we just need to reevaluate where we're at. So I'm going to read, usually I don't do this, I'm I'm fairly extemporaneous, but this morning I'm going to read some of these thoughts just because I want to make sure that we get these things right. Um, Have you ever been, have you ever been, uh, have you ever had a friend describe someone else to you? And when they were done describing that person, whether it was a male or female, you said, man, I could really like that girl or that guy. I could really like that person. Or maybe you even said, I I really do like that person already. Just based upon the description that uh, your friend gave you, you concluded that you really like that person. Only to find out later when you actually meet that person, you walk away and you say, man, I could never like that person. I could never like that guy or that girl. Anybody have that experience? Don't raise your hand, but just shake your head if you've ever had that experience before where someone describes someone to you and you're like, man, that's a really neat person. And then you met them and you're like, wow, that's not a really neat person. And, uh, and, and it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't uh, you didn't mesh with them. It didn't, something was different than what was described to you. The reason for this is oftentimes when we describe people to other people, we describe them with a bias. In other words, we like them and therefore we describe them with the bias of liking them. Or, they're, or we don't like them and we, we describe them with the bias of not liking them. But we describe them with a bias Or our information that we describe them with is limited, or it is inaccurate. And we don't really ultimately know if we like a person until we are face-to-face with them, and we spend some time with them, and we find out what they're really like. And we find out what they are all about. What are their likes? What are their dislikes? What are their passions? What are the things that they hate? What are the things that they love? When we find out those things, then we can ultimately step back and make a decision and say, you know what, I I think I do like that person. Or you might actually say, I don't really like that person at all. And I think we've all experienced that in some way. This, This truth is applicable to how we think about God. This truth is appropriate to how we think about God. People often describe the characteristics of God. 
And many times when they describe the characteristics of God, they, a believer will describe all of the good characteristics of God. And they describe his kindness and his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And they, they describe this whole package of, of, about who God is. And they describe all of these positive things about who God is. And people get this perspective of God as being completely positive about everything. There's nothing negative about God at all. He doesn't, he doesn't dislike anything. He doesn't hate anything. He doesn't have any problems with anything. Matter of fact, anything that you want or can imagine in your mind that's positive, you have determined that that's the definition of who God is. And what we call that in this culture, in, in, in Christianity, true Christianity, we call that idolatry. Idolatry is when you create in your mind a, a version of God that fits everything that you see as positive and good and leaves out everything that you see as negative and bad. The problem with that is, is that one day we're all going to stand before this God. and We're going to give an account to him and we're going to see him not just with all the attributes that we like about God, but we're going to see him in his fullness we're going to see every attribute of God exposed to us in a divine way. And some of us are going to stand before him and decide, I don't really like him. Matter of fact, I don't like him at all. And others are going to be affirmed in their faith. We get the opportunity of meeting him now in his word. God has given us the Bible. The, Bible is purpose, the Bible's purpose is to just describe to us who God is so that we can make that decision on whether we like him or dislike him. And again, there's, there's so much importance on taking what God's word says about God and not minimizing or, or um, uh, looking at one side of God's character and not looking at the other side of God's character. Let me, let me read this text to you in Matthew 13. In verse 20 and 21, the Lord says it this way in regards to the, to the seed that's sown in the ground. He says, as for what is sown on rocky ground, this is the gospel, the word of God is sown into the rocky ground. And this one hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. In other words, the information that he receives is probably on the positive side, right? Right? If he's immediately receiving it with joy, he's probably, be presenting, he's probably being presented something that's positive. Something that is, is on, the, on the side of, of, of his well-being or good. But the Bible says this, but he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution come on the basis of the word... So in other words, now this person, he's, he's, he's heard the quote-unquote good news and he's embraced it with joy. He's excited about it, like, yeah, man, this is, this is good. But then he gets into the Word and the Word starts to describe a God that is just and a God that is holy and a God that is full of wrath and anger towards sin. And he starts to see this whole unfolding of who God is and what does he do? Well, the Bible says that he falls away. He, he, he leaves, that joy leaves from him, that excitement leaves from him because now he is presented with a full expression of God and he doesn't like him. He gets to see God for who he is and he doesn't like what he sees. And that's where many, many of us today in this culture are not presented with a full expression of God 
And therefore, we have embraced certain parts of God's character or characteristics of God that are meant for our benefit than good, but we haven't embraced the fullness of who God is. And I want us to be presented with that this morning. I want to present that God to us. It says at the end of that passage back in Matthew 13, he says, He endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arise on the account of the word, he immediately falls away. Meaning he has nothing to do with it. Because it's in opposition to him. And we look at the word of God as being totally pro-man, right? It's pro-mankind. It's pro-humanity. The Bible is pro-God, and, 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 and that's, that's the essence of it. It is, it is pro-God. And if man is for God, then it's pro-man. And if man is against God, it's against man. It's really not about man. It's about God. And we get to open up the Word of God so we can see Him in His fullness, and then we get to make a decision on whether or not we like it, whether or not we're willing to submit to it or surrender to it. Man, if you go and you describe somebody to somebody, if I were to bring somebody up here right now and I was to tell you that, man, they have your best interest in mind. If you need anything, they will bring it to you. This, this is a billionaire, so if you need some, you need $1,000 or a $1 million or whatever, man, this is the person to go to. They'll be at your house tomorrow if you need a new faucet or if you need a new roof on your house. If I describe that to you, how many people are going to like that? How many are going to like that? It's going to be natural to selfishly, honestly, to selfishly embrace that because everything is about me. But if I present a God that requires things of us and that when we walk astray from those things, that, he's, that, that there is a, uh, an anger in that God, a God that when we walk away from him, we become his enemy. It's the God of the Bible. The purpose of this morning's message is to challenge the authenticity of your love for God. It is to introduce you to a God who abominates things. The goal is for the unbeliever so that you will have, if you're with us this morning and you're an unbeliever, you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not sure of Jesus, my goal this morning is to give you an expression of God's character that is a true expression of his character, both sides of it, and that you will be able to decide if you want to respect him, love him, and follow him. I think one of the biggest dis disservices that we've done to the church today is not give people a full expression of God so that they can make that decision. They don't even, people in the church, they don't even know the full expression of God from His Word. They don't even have the opportunity to decide whether they like Him or not. You ask them, are you a follower of God? They don't really know if they are because they don't know who God is. My goal this morning for a believer, if you're a believer, a follower in Christ, my goal for you this morning is for you to process in your mind, for you to re acts for you to, to reevaluate, if you will, the fact that God abominates certain things and that you would abominate those things as well. 1 John 1 and verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, the word literally means if you call your sin the same thing that God calls your sin, then we're going to find that what God calls sin is abomination. It's no slight word. It's no small word. It's no insignificant word. 
It's not something to be joked about or mocked or laughed at. Sin is a serious thing. It sends billions of people to, to eternal damnation. It's an abomination to God. I want us as a church to rethink what we think about sin. How, we, how does God view sin? How does God look at sin? And then what, what are we supposed to, how are we supposed to look at sin? That's, what I, that's my desire for the believer. If you will call sin what it is, if you will call sin what God calls sin, an abomination, a white lie is not a white lie, it's a lie. Right? And, 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 and rebellion is not, a, is not a season that kids go through in their life. It's an abomination to God. And idolatry is not something that you just mess with and you're going you're gonna to deal with it and it's going to go away. It is an abomination to God. And fornication and adultery and homosexuality, these are an abomination to our God. We don't understand that the reason, our, the reason our world is in the situation it's in is because we have been convinced that sin doesn't matter anymore. But folks, listen to me. Sin matters. And God is against it. And we, when, as a culture, we embrace a sinful lifestyle, even if we don't embrace it personally to live in it, but we, 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 embrace, we, we embrace it with levity and, and act like it's no big deal, we are embracing it. And then we don't understand why our country is falling apart at the seams. It's because we don't abominate what God abominates. We don't even know what abominate means. The overall goal of this morning's message is to see what God abominates and to refuse to compromise, participate in, sympathize with, or be silent about those things. The reason for a sermon like this is that the only hope for individuals, the only hope for families and churches and communities in our country is for God's church to stand again. It's for God's church to stand again. It's for God's church to repent, and it's for God's church to intercede on the behalf of others. If we want what's best for our country, we must acknowledge that the problem is spiritual, and the solution isn't new technology, the solution isn't new medicine, the solution isn't new religious programs. The solution isn't new idols. The, the solution is God's people confessing their sins, repenting and restoring holiness to our nation. This is, the, this is the answer all throughout Scripture. I don't know why we don't see it today. Every time it's like, okay, that was back then, but we're in the 21st century. No, the Bible isn't written in such a way that it's only fit to one generation. It is fitting to all generations. What you see in God's Word is taking place in front of your eyes today. What happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve is taking place in front of your eyes today. When Israel rebelled against God and God sent them into captivity and God brought destruction upon them and the land kicked them out, that's happening today. It's that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not altering Himself to fit with your culture, to fit with your likes and your dislikes. God is God. You're to alter yourself to fit into His system, not the other way around. 
And I wrote this at the end of the last statement. If we don't get it, we won't get it. It's a simple statement, but this is a reality. If we don't get this, we won't get it. We won't get all of the things that go with it. The things that we pray for every single day of our lives. Listen, you guys, I know you're prayer warriors. I know that you pray for our country. I know that you pray for our peace. I know that you pray for all of these things. But the Bible says that righteousness is the reason for peace. The Lord has given us the solution. He's, he's laid it out for us in, in a written book. And he says, here's the solution. Quit praying for things that I've given you the solution for. He told Joshua, when Joshua, remember back in, in, in the time of the Exodus, and, and they're, they're going into Canaan after leaving Egypt, and they're getting ready to go in, and they're sinning in the camp, and Joshua gets down before the Lord and says, Lord, what do we do? We're, be, we're, we're being defeated by Ai, this little small community. We just beat Jericho. And God says to Joshua, get off your knees. There's sin in the camp. That's our problem. And we, we got the solution. It's righteousness. Righteousness is the solution. Proverbs tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to every man. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, you're familiar with it. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, let I me mean, just capture all of those things. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their lands. The Bible tells us, the Apostle Peter, I believe, tells us that judgment begins where? Judgment begins at the house of God. Listen, it's not about what the world is doing. It's about what the church is doing. And let me say it this way. It's not about what the world is not doing. It's about what the church is not doing. We have compromised and, and fallen and sympathized with evil. And we're re reaping the harvest of it. And we don't even get it. We need to be restored to it. I, I want to just walk through four things with you this morning. Um, and I'm going to look at some scriptures. Pretty scattered scriptures, but... Just bear with me, if you would, please. Number one, abomination just defined. We're going to look at the word abomination this morning, if you haven't gotten that yet. The dictionary defines abomination as something that causes disgust or hatred. It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an action, it's an event, it's something that causes you to be disgusted. Um, the Greek word here means to be, disgust, to be disgusted with something, to abhor it. Or the, another way of the, the word abhor means to hate with, a, with an elevated hatred. We'll look at that here in a moment. It means wickedness and, and hatred. In a physical sense, when, you, when something is abomin abomination to you, it brings your, it brings your stomach to a churn. The idea of it is, is you want to throw up. When you see something happening, you taste something that's abomination. I, I know that there have been times in my life that I've smelt abominable things. Anybody ever smell an abominable thing, <laughs> right? That uh, I don't know if, uh, if uh, you, maybe a, a diaper or maybe something else, but you smelled something and you just felt like, ah, I'm going to throw up, you know. That, that is an abomination. That is a physical abomination. And again, you have the... You've ate, maybe you've tasted something in your mouth and immediately you wanted to, um, to throw up. I'll tell you guys a story. I'm personal, 
personal story here. I, I, one time, it was uh, probably about 10 years ago with a group of guys, we were watching a football game, and they busted out these hot peppers, right? And they're all like, hey, let's see who can eat a hot pepper. And I'm, you know, proud man that I am. I grab one of those peppers, and I throw that thing into my mouth, and I bite it, and I swallow it. And for the next hour, I'm in the bathroom just throwing up, throwing up, throwing up. That was an abominable thing. In a physical way, it's something that when you taste it, when you smell it, when you eat it, it just makes your stomach curl and it, and it makes you want to throw up. In a spiritual way, don't you think about this, in a spiritual way, it's something that you see and it makes you turn in your spirit. There's a hatred towards it. You, you know how destructive... I'm not saying that you are hateful towards the person doing it. What I'm saying is, is there's something churning inside of you that says what they're doing is destroying our world? What they're doing is destroying families? What they're doing is destroying God's order? What they're doing is destroying God's structure? What they're doing is undermining everything that God meant when he created things? It's not small. It make you want to vomit physically. And there are spiritual things that happen that make people want to vomit physically. It's not just a spiritual thing sometimes where you look at something and say, oh, I hate that. And sometimes there's actually things that you can see going on morally in our world today that make you want to vomit physically. Is that true? We're, we're, and it's getting, it's getting more and more likely that we see those things happening around us. So it's something that makes us want to throw up. The Lord uses the same terminology in Revelation 3 when he's talking about the church at Laodicea, who was this self-righteous church. They thought they had it all together. They had no needs. They said, we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. He says, you don't realize that you're naked, poor, and destitute. Listen, that's the American church today. We think we got it all together. We don't realize that we're poor, naked, and destitute. And here's what the Lord says. He says that I want to, I taste you, I smell you, and I want to... Throw up. I'm going to ask you this question. Is there any sin in your life that makes you want to throw up? Is there any sin? I'm going to say it this way. Is there any sin that makes you want to throw up? I can say this to you. There are certain sins that people commit against me that make me want to throw up. Right? Right? It's that selfishness inside of me, right? Built up. If you go against me, I want to, this makes me want to throw up. Let me ask you this question. Is there any sin against God that makes you want to throw up? When David prays in Isaiah 51, when he confesses his, sins, his sin before God, where he had, he had murdered Uriah, and he had stolen his wife Bathsheba, and here's David's prayer, against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned. Had David sinned against Uriah? Had David sinned against Bathsheba? Did it matter in comparison to the fact that David sinned against the almighty God of the universe? David isn't saying, I'm innocent to Uriah. He wasn't saying, I'm innocent to Bathsheba. He was saying that those don't matter because I have sinned against God. We need to get that. Sin is against God. It's not against you. It's not against me. It's not against somebody else. It's against God who created things with a certain structure and a certain order and for a certain reason. 
Sin is undermining and destroying that. So sin or, or abomination are things, number one, that make you want to vomit, um, not just physically, but also uh, spiritually. Number two is, is, is abomination is an elevated hatred. It's a higher level of hatred. The Bible says that we're in Proverbs 6. He says, these six things does the Lord hate. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. So he says that there are six things that the Lord hates. And then he goes one step further and he says, yes, and seven, these seven things are an abomination. It's an elevated sense of hatred. In other words, these things are not just at the level of I hate them, God is saying. These are at the extended level of I hate these Greatly. In uh, 2 Kings, it describes this as being evil. In 2 Kings also, it describes it as wickedness. And it describes it as sin in the Word of God. Romans 1.32 says it this way, Though they knew God, though they knew God's righteous decree, that those who practice such, such things deserve to die, yet not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. In other words, they encourage. Again, this is our culture, right? It's not okay. It's not acceptable just to live in sin, but the sinful world wants what of everybody else. They, no, they, they want us to, yeah, they want us to encourage it. The world is evil. The world is wicked. We don't expect them to be anything less than that, do we? We're not expecting the world to be righteous. But listen to me, folks. In the midst of an, abomina of an abomination, we are to be righteous. We are to be righteous. We are to be righteous. We don't expect them to be righteous. There will be homosexuality in our streets. There will be transgender in our streets. There will be lying and there will be abortion and there will be all of these things that are abomination to God. Listen to me, church. You cannot accept it. You cannot laugh at it. You cannot take it lightly. It is the church's view of these things that is destroying our nation, not the world's view of them. God abominates things that are sinful, wicked, and evil. These things which elevated his hatred and cause his stomach to be sick. Abomination directed. Let me give you some things here. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Leviticus 18. We're going to look at some passages in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Not too far from the beginning. We looked already at Proverbs 6. The Bible says these six things is the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to him. He talks about a proud look, a lying tongue. He talks about hands that shed innocent blood, which we would call abortion. Any, there, is no, there is no sin that more describes the killing of innocent blood than abortion. Evil planners, it says, he hates, are abomination. Those looking for trouble and those sowing discord among the brethren. These are not just your general sins. These are those who are promoting them. These are those who are encouraging others to do them. 
Listen, if you have a sin in your life, if you have a, a struggle in your life, and we all do, we all have those struggles in, in our life, but where it becomes a problem is when you start promoting other people and you say, I want you to accept me in my sin. I want you to accept my sin, and then I want to promote it. And that's what our world is doing. Our world, listen, folks, our world is shaking a fist in God's face. It's not just that they're living in sin because they, they do it's that they want everybody else to embrace their sin and they want to shake a fist in the Creator's face. And you know something, church? We cannot join them. We cannot join them. And we will not join them. Look at what he says in Leviticus 18. I'm going to... If you read the first 30 verses, you will see it unfolding it talks against incest. It talks against abortion. And I want to read a few verses down at the end. Um, in verse number 19, he says, You shall not approach a woman. Well, let's see here. It goes on uncleanness. Verse number 20, And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her, which is adultery or fornication. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, which is... Um, uh, abortion shall not pro profane the name of the Lord. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a man or with male. With uh, you shall not lie with a male ass with a female. This is an abomination to God. You shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any man, woman, give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourself unclean. By any of these things, for by all these things, for by all these things, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you die all of these, did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, it is vomiting out the nations that were, that were before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the person who do them shall be cut off from among the people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominations, customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. He says, is this different? Well, this is the Jews, Pastor John. This is under the law, Pastor John. No, this is the character of God, church. This is God's character. He's telling us who he is. He's telling us what he expects. He's telling us what he loves. He's telling us what he likes. He talks against incest. He talks against abortion. He talks against uh, homosexuality. He talks against bestiality here in this passage. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 22. Verse number 5. And you can read the surrounding text because it's full of stuff. I'm not even going to give you a, a, a full expression of all the things that God abominates, but I just want you to know that He abominates things. 
They make him want to throw up. They ought to make us want to throw up sometimes too. The Bible says a woman, verse 20, chapter 22 and verse 5, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For whoever does these things is abomination in the eyes of the Lord. We see this happening in our world today. Is okay? Okay with God? This is what's destroying our nation. We can't stand up with it. We can't clap for it. We can't sympathize with it. We can't. We care about we care about God's God's glory too much. We care about our nation too much. It's not innocent. It is full of guilt. And it will bring condemnation. And we're the only ones, folks, that can stand in the gap. We're the only ones that can stand in the gap. Deuteronomy 18, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to skip through this fairly quickly. Demon worship talks about, talks about communicating with the dead. It talks about mediums, mediums and psychics. It talks about all of those things. And you know what it calls them? Abomination to the Lord. These are an abomination to the Lord. They are demonology, playing and messing with things that are in the demonic realm. The church cannot embrace these things. They are an abomination to God. Deuteronomy 25, verse 13 through 16 describes dishonesty in business, having two different types of weights or two different weight systems, and that's abomination to God. Proverbs 17 and verse number 15 tells us that justifying or sympathizing with evil and condemning the judge or condemning the just and the righteous is an abomination to God. I would tell you that we're living that today. Almost everything that we see in the Old Testament in regards to that which is an abomination to God, we are seeing manifested in our culture today in a very, very real way. And you know what happened when Israel would embrace those things? When Israel wouldn't stand against those things? God would bring judgment on them. Again, I'm not giving you a full expression of all the things that God abominates. What I want you to know is what abomination is. And I want you to know the fact that God does abominate. That God does hate things. And that you should hate what God hates. In Deuteronomy, the Lord says to the children of Israel, you must be holy as I am holy. And do you know that three times in the New Testament, he tells the church the same exact thing? Do you know how many times these verses are quoted in the New Testament? I can't even tell you how many times they're quoted in the New Testament. It's all throughout. It hasn't changed. God's character hasn't changed. It's the same it always will be. Yes, I know that we have forgiveness. We have forgiveness through God's wrath being poured out on Jesus Christ, His Son. Amen? Do we have forgiveness through God's wrath being poured out on Jesus Christ, His Son? Do you know something? It's a shame that we would take the sins that Jesus Christ had to bore the wrath of God for and take Him lightly. True or false? 
It's a shame that we would take the sins. You picture Jesus on the cross and you know that that was God's wrath being poured out on the sins that our culture today celebrates. You don't think that doesn't stir the heart of our God. You don't know his word. Sure, we've been forgiven through God's wrath being poured out on his son for these sins. But don't minimize Christ's work by sympathizing with those who embrace and encourage others to embrace the sin that God hates. And listen, don't sympathize with those who encourage and embrace the sin that caused Jesus to hang on a tree and give his life. He's your brother. He's your friend. He's your, he's your savior. He's your Lord. If one of your kids died, listen to me, if one of your children died on behalf of somebody else's sin, you would hate that. And you know you would. And God is 10,000 times more important. And Jesus Christ is 10 million times more important. Hebrews 10, 26-29 says this, If we go on sinning deliberately after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for our sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much, get this, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who tramples underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? outraged the spirit of grace. I don't know that we know this God. And I'm afraid that we don't know this God. Because he is the God of the Bible. If you go down in Hebrews, continued in that text in Hebrews 10, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There are three things about the display of abomination. We looked at the definition of it. We looked at the direction of it. We'll look at, for a few moments, the display of it. We saw in those texts, and if we could have read, there's so, there's so many in the Old Testament that I, we just don't have time to read them all. But you see in each one of them that there is judgment that happens as a result. There's condemnation on the nation. The Bible talks about the land actually spewing out the, the inhabitants of it. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I think the land, the land is living. The Bible even refers to the land as being a living organism that one day will also be redeemed and restored back to its perfect state. I think the land is sickened. The Bible says to us in, in Romans 8 that the land cannot wait for its redemption. The land cannot wait for its redemption. I think the land vomits us out by fires, by earthquakes, by things of this nature. It's sickened. It's sickened. I think if the land vomits us out by a lot of other things, I think we 
We experience a lot of things in our world where the land is vomiting us out. The land is sick. God is sick. One of the things we know about animals, it's like humans have this like free will thing. I'm not going to get into free will, but humans have this decision-making process, right? They get to decide whether they glorify God or not glorify God. Well, animals don't. They just do what they're naturally meant to do, and the land doesn't. And you know what they're both built to do? They're both built to glorify God, and hence the reason why the land wants to vomit out the sickness that is in it. You know what we get to choose? We get to choose to want to vomit out the sickness that is in our culture. And we get to choose to not want to vomit it out. There are three different types of judgments mentioned in God's word. There's number one, the passive judgment. Passive judgment is simply God lifting up his hands from us. God removing his blessing, God removing his protection, God removing his provision, God removing his restraint from us. Romans chapter number one, the Bible says that he gives them over to certain types of sins. This simply means that God lifts his hand from them. The reality of it is, listen to me, folks, the world is not as bad as it could be. Right now, there's a restraining of the Holy Spirit and the church that keeps the world from being as bad as it could be. But when the Lord lifts that restraining, mankind will become worse and worse. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing in the last 20 years, and we're seeing an acceleration, if you will, of wickedness in our culture. You say, well, why is that, Pastor John? Because the Lord has lifted up his hands. That's all he's doing. It's not active, it's passive. He just lifts his hands and he lets us see what we're really like. There's a passive judgment. God's restraining power, God's protecting power, God's uh, providing for us. God allows us to disobey him in certain ways, and then he allows us to face the natural consequences of those things. Some of God's judgment is that he lets us do worse sins. Say, Pastor John, how is that judgment? You know, you know what the proverb says? The proverb says that the judgment of a parent is to leave their child alone. And the love of a parent is to discipline them. Have you ever thought about the fact that judging is not what the world says it is and that it's not just judging is letting people do what they want to do. It's letting them live in sin and then face the consequences of their sins. Right? So don't be judging. Judge not that you be not judged. So don't let people keep going down this path that's going to destroy them. It's a, it's a passive judgment, God lifting up his hands. It's a natural judgment. This is simply the things that God has infused into nature, right? If you jump off a building, what grabs you immediately? Anybody got a guess at that one? Gravity. You jump off a building, gravity grabs you immediately, and guess what? That's right, science, science this morning <laughs> pulls you to the ground, and you are judged by natural consequences. God has filtered in a lot of natural consequences in our world today. A lot of things that are naturally taking place, listen, they're naturally taking place, and you, you guys, listen, we cannot take them out of the fact that they are the judgment of God on our culture when he planted them into nature. He created the rules, right? He made the laws. And he said, if you jump off the 
building, you're going to fall to the ground. If you live in sin, you're going to face, over and over again in the Old Testament, he says to the Israelites, if you live in sin, you're going to face disease. You're going to face pestilence. You're going to face famine. And we face disease and pestilence and famine. And we're like, well, where does this all come from? Uh, you forgot it's built in to nature. And God is the author of it all. Natural consequences. The Old Testament describes it as the land vomiting us out. Galatians 6, 7, 8 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. If the man sows to his own flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to your flesh, it is built in. Listen, this is what America is dealing with. This is what the world is dealing with. You sow to your flesh, you will reap corruption. You sow to the Spirit, you will reap life everlasting. And that's not referring to everlasting life like, oh, if I sow to the Spirit, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. This is talking about a certain type of life in this world. It's the opposite. It's, it's, the, it's the direct parallel to sowing and reaping. I sow evil. I sow to my flesh. I reap corruption. I sow to my spirit, I reap the right type of life. And then there's the active judgment of God. This is God's active judgment on the wicked in life and eternity. The Bible says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is actively judging the wicked. If you will read in your own time, Jeremiah 44, verses 20 through 23, Ezekiel 7, Ezekiel 8, and all throughout the Scriptures, you will find this, that God is actively judging the wicked. And one day there is a final judgment, Revelation 20, where all of the unbelievers will stand before God and they will give an account for everything that they've done in this life and they will be cast into a place called uh, the lake of fire forever and forever and forever. That's the active judgment of God. If you knew, if you knew that somebody was doing something that was going to ultimately end up condemning them forever, would you make light of it? Would you just like, well, that's kind of cool. I sympathize with you. You're having a bad day. One of the men, um, have you ever heard of Penn and Teller? I'm going to tell on myself. There's these music, music, musicians, magicians. Anybody heard of Penn and Teller? Yes. Okay, good. I'm going to feel quite guilty up here for using a magic story. So Penn, I believe, is the tall one, right? Is that right? Okay, Penn is the tall one. And so Penn said this, he quoted, so Ray Comfort, if you know who Ray Comfort is, Ray Comfort shared the gospel with him. And here's what he told Ray Comfort. He didn't receive the Lord, obviously. He's an atheist, strong atheist. But he said this, and I'm going to mess the quote up completely, but you're going to get the idea of it. He said, he thanked him for sharing the gospel with him, and he said, for anybody who believes there's an eternal place called hell, and an eternal place called, that is, that is condemnation, and an eternal place called heaven, and they don't share the gospel with people like you just did, then they are an abomination. And this is coming from an atheist, and I paraphrased it, but you can look it up online, it's there. He's not ashamed of it, you can look it on YouTube, he actually says it. 
If you believe that there's a place where people are going to go for eternal damnation and you do not share with them that they are going to be condemned by their sins, he says, shame on you. Shame on me. We're not doing anybody a favor by embracing their sins, folks. Our culture is dying. Our world is dying. Our state is dying. Our country is dying. Not because the world is the world, but because Christians are the world. Remember what Jesus said about Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember Abraham went to the Lord and said to him, "If Lord, can you, would you spare them, please? And then they had this debate, right? Started out, Lord, if you find 50 righteous people in there, will you please save them? He got down to how many? You guys remember? Ten. Abraham says to the Lord, Lord, if they can just find ten, will you please spare these people? And the Lord says, if, if you can find ten in there, I'll spare them. Do you know what happened at the end of the day? God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because there weren't ten. There weren't ten. There might have been several churches in Sodom and Gomorrah. But you know what there weren't? There weren't ten righteous people. My last thought this morning is abomination diffused. Let me say this to you. What isn't helpful when it comes to abominations? Number one, for Christians, what isn't helpful when it comes to the things that God abominates? It's not helpful, number one, for you to participate in them. It's not helpful for Christians to participate in the things that God abominates. Now, I get that you, you, some of you might struggle. We all do. So the things that God abominates, there will be people in here that struggle with them. I get that. But we should be struggling and fighting them, not embracing them. So participation is one thing that's not helpful for the things that God abominates. Number two is sympathizing with those who are not struggling. I get we sympathize with those who are struggling, that are wrestling, but we do not sympathize with those who are promoting. We cannot sympathize with those who are promoting a lifestyle that is destroying people, children, adults, everybody. We cannot sympathize with that. What else is not healthy is we cannot take it lightly or have levity about it. If you turn, if you look at in your own time, Ephesians 5, the Bible says that we shouldn't even joke about things that are this, of this nature. And I'm guilty of that. My son-in-law corrects me on that regularly, and I appreciate him for doing that. Because you'll just make a joke. And you don't even think about the fact that that is not a proper joke. You're joking about something that is an abomination to God. The last thing that's not, it's not healthy is quietness about it. Not to be outspoken about the fact that these things are going to be destructive. And then three positive things. Number one is stand. Stand. The, word, the idea, Ephesians, I got the, the word from Ephesians 6. The Bible says that we're to stand against the evil. We're to stand up against it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Bible says that we're to stand. We're to be unmovable and unshakable. Deuteronomy 7, 25 and 26 says that we're to utterly detest and abhor that which is evil. We should never take that which is an abomination to God lightly. The word abhor is used in another passage in Romans 12. It means to dislike, to detest, or to be horrified by. I love that definition because sin 
that we see in our culture today that is being promoted in our streets ought to horrify us. It ought to create within us an extraordinary fear. God, when are you going to pour out your wrath on us because we are, we are shaking our fist in your face? There are things that horrify me, but there should be nothing that horrifies us more than the fact that evil is rampant. Where he says, abhor that which is evil. Individuals, families, churches, communities, and countries are being destroyed by the sins that are being embraced. And we as a church must stand. Romans 12 and verse 9 says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Psalms, Psalm 97 and verse 10 says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Exclamation point. And then Ephesians 5 and verse 3, we're to never even joke about it. First of all, stand. Secondly, repent. Repentance is just simply turning away from. It is, it is the rejection of. There's a personal repentance where we, where we ourselves repent for our own sins. Uh, we repent for what we've done wrong, for what we're struggling with. And then there's a, a national sense of repentance where we repent for the sins of our nation. We repent for the sins of our people. We repent, as Nehemiah did, for the things that we have done wrong. The world is not going to repent, church, so you need to for yourself and for them. And then lastly, intercede for them. Intercede for them. Not an intercession of sympathy, not an intercession of sympathy, but an intercession of being a watchman on a wall. Ezekiel chapter number 22, if you'll read it, the Lord calls in Ezekiel for there to be a watchman. And his job is to see the enemy coming and to tell everybody to, be, to, to, to find safety and security. And the Bible says in this text, if he doesn't sound the alarm and the enemy comes and destroys them, then their blood is on his hands. Right? But if he sounds the alarm and the people don't go in for safety and they don't seek protection and the enemy comes and destroys them, then their blood is on their own hands. Let me submit to you this morning, folks. We are the watchmen on the wall. And we have done a poor job of being a watchman on a wall. Because mankind sympathizes with sin and condemns those who call it out, the church needs to be reminded of God's attitude toward and stop making excuses for the sin that is destroying our nation and our world. The church must pursue holiness now more than ever. I know that holiness is Christ in you, but it is also Christ through you. And Christ does not justify, nor does he sympathize with, but he condemns and ultimately defeated sin with his death on the cross. And I close with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said this, There is nothing which my heart desires more than to see you, the members of this church, distinguished by holiness. It is the Christian's crown and glory. An unholy church, it is of no use to the world and of no esteem among men. Oh, it is an abomination. Hell's laughter, heaven's abhorrence, 
It is an abomination. It is hell's laughter. And it is heaven's abhorrence. And the larger the church, the more influential, the worse nuance does it become when it becomes unholy. The worst evils which have ever come upon the world have been brought upon her, have been brought upon her by an unholy church. Let's pray together. Father, I just say that we would pray for your forgiveness, Lord, where we have not stood strong. We have not stood against that which is evil. And, and Lord, done it in a loving way. But God, these things are destroying us. They're destroying your creation. They're destroying your order. They're destroying your glory. And we ask your church must do what is right. Please help us, Lord. Please guide us and direct us. Fill us with your spirit and empower us from on high to do what we need to do. We pray your blessing upon your church that you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.